guys, welcome to Telling the Told on Untold. My name is Tsuru. Before we go straight into today's case, I do have a content warning to give you guys. In this video, we do talk about domestic abuse. So if that's not something you think you're interested in watching, then this video probably isn't for you. So maybe you can watch some of my other videos or just wait for my next upload. In the early hours of the 20th of July, 2008, Matthew Naidu walked into the police station and told the two constables on duty that his girlfriend's parents had been killed. The three of them then got into the car and drove all the way to Westfield to the Lotta family home. And once the police officers went inside the house, they found Nicolette Lotta. She said that she came home around 2 a.m. and she found both of her parents, Ricky and Johnny, and both of them were dead. She then looked around the house and she found her younger brother, Hardis, and he was in his bedroom and he had been tied up and badly beaten. The two constables then called a detective Duma and once he got the call to respond to the Lotta family house he was a bit taken aback because he knew the Lotta family. A couple of months earlier Johnny had went to go open a case of fraud because someone had been withdrawing 2,000 Rand from his account and after that him and his family started receiving threatening messages, um, messages, letters, and they didn't know from who. So that's how Detective Duma knew them. So he went to the Lotta family home, and once he got into the house, he was taken aback because he saw Matthew Naidu sitting on the couch. And he knew that Ricky Lotta had banned him from her home about a month earlier. Hardest was very quiet, he could barely speak, and Nikki was just crying. By 4am Detective Duma had called the Durban Organised Crime Unit to come in because he thought that there was more than met the eye and this was later confirmed when Nicolette told them that when she got home she noticed that there was a letter outside and it was a typed out letter and it said that Ricky and Johnny got what was coming to them and that Matthew Naidi Naidu had this Lotta and Nicolette Lotta had something to do with their deaths. The investigators then told the three of them that they had to leave the house and go to the police station because they were going to start investigating and at this point they were outside and then Matthew looked at the police officer and told him that it was a bit cold outside and asked if he could go get a jacket from Nikki's room for him and her and the officer let him go into the house and get the jackets. After this, they were then taken to the Westville police station, all of them in three separate cars. And not too long after that, the pathologist arrived on the scene and he, he discovered or rather determined that Ricky Lotta had been murdered about two hours before her husband. And as soon as investigators discovered this, they started looking at the siblings a bit differently and thought that they might have something to do with their parents' murder. At the police station, there was a social worker that was looking after the three of them and then they gave them some food to eat and Matthew was the only one to eat his food. Nicolette and Hardis kind of just picked at their food and didn't do much. And then after this, they were told that they had to be taken to the district surgeon for blood tests and for Hardis wounds to be 
taken care of and this is when Matthew asked the police officers if they were under arrest and the police officer said no they just had to make sure that all of Hardis's wounds were taken care of and he just asked that they just help them so that they can find the killer or killers and this is when Matthew just gave like a very wide smile and he said okay and then they went to the district surgeon and they were there for a couple of hours police officers used these couple of hours when all three of them were at the district surgeon to find evidence linking them to Johnny and Ricky's murder because they wholeheartedly believe that all three of them had something to do with the murders. They then returned to the police station and then Matthew kind of lost it. He stood up and he started swearing at the police officers, shouting at them, told them that they were incompetent and asked them what was going on with the case. And this is when the officers took their handcuffs and all three of them were handcuffed and arrested for the murders of Johnny and Ricky Lotta. So let's get into it. Maria Magdalena van Riena van der Marva was born into a very traditional Afrikaans family and she was given the nickname Ricky. This is because there was a lot of people in her family with the name Maria Magdalena. So it was kind of to set her apart from the rest and she had a really good childhood she came from a family of musicians and there was nothing really that stood out in her childhood except for her mother her mother was said to be someone who did a lot of strange things there was one occasion where she sold everything in the kitchen so that she could go buy donuts instead of just like going to the ATM to go withdraw money or just using the money that she already had. She started selling all of the stuff in the kitchen, like things that she would use later that night to cook. And she was later diagnosed with schizophrenia and she was put on medication and this medication really helped stabilize her. Ricky eventually matriculated and she went on to study at the University of Potchestroom and there she studied teaching. This is where she also met her future husband Johannes Pietras Gerardus Lotta and he was three years older than her and it said that he was studying engineering and accounting. Now how you can do both of them. Yeah he was studying engineering and accounting and he went by the name Johnny so for the rest of this video I'll be referring to Ricky as Ricky and Johnny as Johnny. Yeah. So because Johnny was studying engineering and accounting, he was really good at math. He really loved it so much so that he was able to give other students extra lessons to help him pay off his tuition. And Ricky needed extra classes for maths. And this is when the two of them met and the rest was history. The following year, the two of them got married in 1981. And the following year, on the 15th of April, 1982, Ricky gave birth to their first child, Nicolette. Their early life for the Lotta family was a bit challenging because at this time, Ricky and Johnny were both still working and studying and they didn't really have a lot of time to spend with their daughter, Nicolette. Nicolette also took some of her mother's side of the family's traits. She was very interested in music and she learned to play a lot of instruments from a very young age. Eventually Johnny graduated and then he got a job opportunity in the Eastern Cape in a small town known as Butterworth and this is when the family relocated. Then in 1986 Ricky gave birth to her second daughter Crystal and two years after that she gave birth to her son her son Hardis. Johnny was then headhunted for a very high-end 
company in Durban and because of this the Lotta family then relocated and this is when everything changed for them. Johnny was making a lot of good money so much so that he was able to buy himself a boat and take up fishing as a hobby because why not and it's also around this time that Nicolette started feeling very disconnected from the rest of her family. Her dad had his job, he had his interests and hobbies, her mother Ricky had to look after the two younger ones and she just really didn't connect with any of them and Johnny noticed this and because of this he decided to start taking his daughter Nicolette fishing with him on weekends and the two of them got really close and they built a really strong father-daughter relationship but this all changed when Nicolette got to high school. The Lotzes were said to be a very religious family but Nicolette was more religious than all of the other ones. It's said that she was always looking for a more profound religious experience and she also started going to youth so if you don't know youth is like a church group for young people of the church from like I think 13 like when you're a teenager to like your early I don't know 20s so yeah she started going to youth and when she started to go when she started going to youth she started experimenting with a lot of different things she started smoking marijuana she was very interested in boys and then she told her dad that she didn't want to spend weekends with him fishing anymore Nicolette also had several boyfriends throughout the years and she convinced herself that when she would have sex with them it was because it was like a way to show them that she really loved them even if it was something that she didn't want to do she felt like it was something that she had to do she also developed anorexia and her parents didn't really know what was happening in her life and I know you might find it strange that I'm talking about like her religion and engaging in like sexual intercourse but it will all come together as this case unfolds I forgot to mention that Nicolette also goes as Nikki so if I interchange between Nicolette and Nikki I'm talking about the same person so when Nicolette was 16 years old she was sitting in her father's car and she found a cigarette with like red lipstick on it and she also saw a spider-man toy so she asked her father about it and he just said that it belonged to his secretary so Nikki knew her dad's secretary she had grown really close to the family she became like a family friend and she would also babysit um, Nicolette's younger siblings Crystal and Hardest so it wasn't like a stranger but she still found it a bit strange that the secretary would have sat in her dad's car and would have left like a toy for her child and also left like her lipstick on one of his cigarettes so she went to go tell her mom Ricky about it and Ricky had always suspected that her husband had been having an affair so when Nikki told her about it she wasn't that taken aback she wasn't surprised and she just confronted Johnny she confronted Johnny in front of her three children and as soon as she accused him of having had an affair so having an affair he literally just fell to his knees and he was crying and he was like stop accusing me of having an affair I'm not having an affair and Ricky just didn't believe him she was like I don't believe you but at this point she was a stay-at-home mom and she felt like she had built up this lot of family she had built up this family with Johnny and she wasn't willing to lose that so she wanted to work on her relationship with her husband and she wasn't going to leave him 
all she did was find a job so that she could start working again she could start being a teacher again so that she could have her own income in case anything happened that led her to not be able to rely on Johnny anymore it's also said that after this confrontation Johnny completely changed he was a different man he started drinking a lot more and it became sort of like a routine where like he would go to work he would come home he would drink a bottle of whatever he was drinking and then he would fall asleep at 8 p.m because he was so intoxicated and he would wake up the next morning and do that again and this happened for years decades really Nicolette eventually matriculated and her parents really wanted her to study something like graphic design or being a doctor but she wanted to focus on her music and her parents really wanted to support her in this so they let her go to music college and she was really enjoying it and it was when she was attending music college that she met this other woman and it was this girl who was a Christian she just radiated happiness she looked very content in her life she looked like she had no issues and Nicolette wanted that for herself she wanted to be as happy as this girl was so at 19 she decided to go back to the church she decided to find her religion again and she also made a vow to herself that she was going to be celibate until she met her husband or until she met someone who she thought was going to be her husband. Nikki had also exhibited paranoid delusions throughout her entire life and all of these were made worse when she would spend time with her maternal grandmother, Ricky's mother who had been diagnosed with schizophrenia. So when the Lotta family would go visit Ricky's side of the family, Nicolette would spend a lot of time with her grandmother, they would be there in the kitchen, they'd be cooking together, baking together and this is when her grandmother would tell her all these different stories or just things that she really believed in like curses demons dark magic dokoloshis all those things and Nikki really believed everything that her grandmother was saying to the point when she started going back to church all of her beliefs in all these different things became even more intense and she believed them more than she ever had before it was also around the same time when Nikki started going back to the church and her delusions became even more intensified that their domestic helper unfortunately passed away and she had been with the Lotta family for a very long time so because of her passing they had to hire a new domestic helper and Nikki did not like this woman and she didn't like her even more when she found out that this woman's son was a sangomat. She really believed that their domestic helper was putting curses on her and was the reason for their families like their family just having bad luck and for their household having this very negative energy around it. This domestic couple also didn't like Nikki that much because Nikki really tried to convince her parents to fire her and her parents would keep telling her like Nikki we're not going to fire her because you believe that she's cursing you or she's doing dark magic we're not going to do that and because of this she just disliked this woman even more and she didn't hide her dislike for her and the domestic couple would also like kind of like laugh or make jokes about Nikki and what Nikki believed in where sometimes she'd take like a bird or like she'll put dead birds on Nikki's window so that when Nikki woke up she would see the birds and Nikki would kind of 
be really scared and be like oh my gosh like the curse the curse the dark magic and the domestic couple would laugh because you know she was like feeding into nikki's delusions because she's like this girl doesn't like me so let me just make a joke out of it kind of nikki thought that if she was faithful to her religion she would be able to break the curses that had been put on her and because of this she decided to fast for long periods of time and because she was fasting she became very malnourished and she started losing her hair but instead of her thinking that maybe her fasting and not really eating while well and all those things were contributing to her losing her hair she thought that the devil was physically pulling out her hair and it just made her believe in this curse even more. Nikki started feeling also very isolated because her parents didn't believe her when she kept saying that she was cursed and this intense heaviness around her just kept growing and growing. She started going from one church to the next telling these people about all of the demons and the curses that had been put on her trying to find people that would help her break this curse but every time she'd go to different people people just didn't believe her and she was turned away there was also one day when she found frogs that had been driven over by cars in like their driveway or like on the street and she thought it had something to do with the curse so then she walked around the entire neighborhood trying to see all of these like trying to see if other neighbors had the same thing like had, had these dead frogs on their driveways or like in front of their houses and she saw all of this and it really wasn't that strange because they did live in Durban and you know Durban there's frogs there's snakes you know there's a lot of greenery so it's not anything new or surprising but as soon as she saw this she convinced herself that all of her neighbor's domestic helpers were working with her domestic helper and were cursing all of them I don't know but it's giving racism but that's what she wholeheartedly believed she was still going to church and people in the church became very wary of her because they could tell that she wasn't okay and the domestic couple belonged to the Zionist church and Nikki started to believe that the church was out to get her the same church also started renting a space at her own church's premises for their services and this is when Nikki completely lost it she went to her pastor she told him that she can't like the pastor can't have the Zionist church on their premises having their church services because they're cursing her and one two three and the pastor was like no we're not gonna like stop renting out to them because you believe that they're doing this because they're not doing this and that's when she left the church and she never returned and although her mental health was very poor during this time her music career was blossoming she had started an all-woman jazz group and it was with a couple of people I think that she went to school with and the group was very popular and by the time she turned 21 her parents had bought her a car for her birthday so that it could help her get from one place to another especially for gigs they would have as a group she'd be able to transport her music equipment and she also also worked for a waitress she also worked as a waitress at a local pub but still as all of these good things were happening to her her delusions still continued growing and 
growing. It was around this time that her younger sister Crystal got accepted to study at the University of Stellenbosch and because of this her parents then decided to buy a house in the Western Cape so that they could be closer to the university and it could kind of be like a holiday home and at this point Hardis was still very reserved out of all of his siblings he was the most reserved he was the most quiet he was obsessed with computers and he knew that he wanted to focus on computers when he was older he was also described as someone who was just very quiet but very quiet and shy but he was still a very kind person and he had his small group of friends. In 2006 when Nikki was 24 years old her band was going through a rough patch they weren't getting booked for gigs as much as they used to and she blamed this on the curse and it seemed like things were just getting even worse. There was one day when she got home and in the garage she saw like this I think it was like a box or like a can rather that was written multi oil like multi oil but she read it as multi oil and then when her father got home he saw that she had anointed the entire outside of the house with this oil it was just very strange and she was still looking for someone to help her rid herself of all of these curses that had been placed on her and all of these demons and this is when she heard about a woman who lived in Phoenix and still in Durban or rather like the West case of in sorry who would be able to help her rid her of all these curses and Nikki was so excited she finally thought that she was gonna see this person this person was gonna help her like help her just get rid of everything that was happening to her and immediately she got in contact with this person and then she drove down to Phoenix and this is when she met Valna and Valna's daughter Claudette. Valna listened Valna listened to what Nikki had to say and just kind of validated her experiences and everything that she told her and Valna told Nikki that she had dealt with so many curses just like the one that had been placed on Nikki so she was going to be able to help her but she did let her know that it was going to be expensive but Nikki told her that money was not an issue and even if she had to sell everything that she owned to rid herself of all these curses she would do exactly that. Valna then said that they could have their first session there and then but first they had to eat they had to have lunch so then Nikki drove them to the grocery store they bought some groceries so that Valna could make some lunch they had lunch and then Valna started with this session of hers. Claudette, Valna's daughter, was sitting on a bed nearby and Nikki just sat there in front of Valna and Valna kind of just like stood up. She was chanting, she was dancing all around Nikki in a language that Nikki didn't understand. And then all of a sudden, Claudette, who was sitting on the bed just in her own world, kind of like stood up. She put out her cigarette and she started thrashing around. She was screaming. She fell onto the bed. She was moving around, almost like she had been possessed or something was happening. And then she kind of just stopped all of a sudden and she looked at her mom and she's like mom like what happened to me and her mom explained to her what had what had happened and Nikki was so scared but Valna told Nikki that she shouldn't be scared and that Claudette was working with her and it was just something that happened but it was kind of like a good sign rather and after the session ended Nikki felt very 
like she felt like she felt lighter she felt like whatever had been happening to her had kind of unattached itself from her it's unattached the word yeah yeah and she just felt very lighter she felt happier and this is when valna told her that it wasn't a once-off thing and they were going to have they were going to have to have another session but this session was going to be an overnight session not like the one they had now which was just a couple of hours and nikki agreed and as I was still like discussing like the small details of it, Claudette's husband walked into the house and he introduced himself. He said that he went by Reverend and he said that he was a pastor of a church that they held on the premises. And once Nikki heard this, she felt like happier. She was like very excited about it because she couldn't believe that she had met this family who were not only able to rid her of all the curses that had been placed on her, but they believed in God and the church so much. So for her, it just made so much sense. And immediately after that, she said that she would see them the following week for her overnight session. Because of Nikki's delusions, her parents thought that maybe she might have inherited her maternal grandmother's mental health issues and Johnny and Ricky discussed if they should take her to a psychiatrist but as all of this was happening Nikki was planning to head back to Phoenix again for her sleepover session. Then on the 18th of February 2007 Nikki went to Phoenix to Valna's family home so that she could have her overnight session but first she had to buy them dinner again and all of them just sat there eating dinner and this is when there was a knock on the door. Valna Wesco opened the door and this Indian guy walked into the room. He was tall, he was slightly overweight and Nikki was very surprised and this man immediately went straight to Nikki, fell to his knees and he was like I love you, please marry me and Nikki was taken aback because she didn't know who this man was, this man who had a bunch of plastic flowers in his hand. It was like the first time that she had ever met this person in her life and his name was Matthew Naidu. Everyone in the room laughed but he looked dead serious and you couldn't believe that they were laughing at him and Nikki kind of just brushed him off and he seemed very annoyed by this but still he just got up he sat down next to her and he helped himself to dinner afterwards he left and Nikki had her overnight session where they were kind of ridding her of these curses she had an exorcism session and she woke up early the next morning and she wanted to leave Valna's house very quickly before she met or saw this strange man again before she saw Matthew again but as soon as she got to her car Matthew was there waiting for her and she was so weirded out but you know kind of just brushed them off and then she got into her car and she drove home and she really didn't think much of it until she received a message from Matthew and he said I love you I hope you got home safely Nikki didn't recognize the number and she asked who sent the message and Matthew replied that it was him and he told her that she looked sad when she left so he, she, he just wanted to make sure that she was okay and Nikki thought that it was very sweet of him to like 
sms her to check in on her and make sure she was okay and then the two of them just started talking back and forth they started flirting with one another and soon the two of them were in a full-blown relationship so let me tell you guys about matthew naidu in 2007 matthew was 20 years old and he was valna's neighbor Claudette's husband had told him that there was a pretty blonde girl who had her own car and who lived in Westville who was paying his mother-in-law to rid her of demons and curses which is why he went to their home that day people in the neighborhood didn't like or dislike Matthew he was kind of just there he was raised by a single mother and his father had left when he was just two years old in school his teachers told his mother that he might have a learning disability Matthew also loved to debate and at this point in his life one of his uncles had got him a job at a clothing store packing boxes and this is where he worked six times a week but Matthew wholeheartedly believed that he deserved a better life and when he heard about Nikki and the life that she lived he was very jealous because he couldn't believe that there was this girl who had a car who had parents who was financially stable who was willing to waste so much money on her crazy neighbors on his crazy neighbors rather to rid her of curses and demons Matthew also wanted to be like Claudette's husband he wanted to be a figure in the church he wanted to be a religious leader because he knew that religious leaders demanded a lot of respect and he also was able to recite sections of the bible from memory so he knew that he would be good at like telling people about the bible word for word soon nikki and matthew's conversations turned from just being like basic information like basic conversations about getting to know each other their likes and dislikes to them talking about religion and spirituality and this is when matthew decided to tell nikki that he wasn't just any ordinary person but that he had special powers he went on to say that he knew things about people that others don't and he started to tell her personal things that she was experiencing in her home life he was telling her about how in their home they were fighting against good and evil and that she needed healing because and he knew that she needed healing because he had healing powers and within weeks the two of them started a sexual relationship Nikki had made a vow when she was 19 that she was going to remain celibate until she met her husband and she planned to keep that vow. She believed that it was God's plan that she was going to meet Matthew and Matthew was going to be her husband. So the fact that they weren't married yet wasn't a big deal because they were going to get married at the end of the day and that was basically her husband. Things in the Lotta family home also seemed to be getting a bit better and Nikki really believed that the curse was lifting. She didn't tell her parents that Matthew is her boyfriend because she wanted to keep up the appearance that she was a good Christian woman and that she didn't engage in other things. And she also didn't know how they'd feel about her dating an Indian guy. And for the first few weeks when Matthew would go to the Lotta family home, he presented himself 
as a good friend and a spiritual companion and as their relationship went on Matthew could tell that Nikki believed everything that he was saying about his spirituality and his gifts and because of this he then told her that he has to be honest about who he was and he then told Nikki that he wasn't just someone who was spiritually gifted but rather that he was the third son of God and he was sent to earth to complete a holy mission. Nikki really believed Matthew and their relationship continued. There was one night where they went to the movies, they were walking in the middle of the mall and they were holding hands and then Nikki saw her ex-boyfriend and whether it was voluntary or involuntary she kind of just like let go of Matthew's hand and she greeted her ex-boyfriend and Matthew was so upset that he immediately just like stormed off and went to Nikki's car that was parked outside. Nikki followed him, ran out and he was at the car and he was like he just demanded to go home. So Nikki said okay, she unlocked the car, they got into the car, they started driving towards where Matthew lived in Phoenix and as they were driving he asked Nikki like why did she let go of my hand who was that and she replied that it was her ex-boyfriend and Matthew just got really upset and he started punching her as she was driving and Nikki just couldn't take it anymore she just stopped the car on the side of the road and she told him to get out and Matthew got out of the car and as she was driving home like she less than 10 minutes had probably passed before she felt really bad about having left him on the side of the road so she turned the car around and she went to go pick Matthew up and then she apologized about letting go of his hand and Matthew apologized to her too and then went on to tell Nikki that he hasn't been fully honest with her and then he told her that he had three spiritual beings in him so there were three parts of him there was like Matthew there was another part I'm not sure what the other part was and the third part was a violent angry being and that was the violent being that Nikki had experienced early in the car. After he revealed to Nikki that he had three different parts to him, these parts became more well known and you could tell that it was another being present during certain situations. His eyes would flutter and his voice would change and when Nikki would hear the evil voice she knew that it wasn't Matthew and she kind of prepared herself to be beaten up because that was the evil angry voice that was the other being that she had to deal with and she kind of she forced herself to deal with it because she convinced herself that this is what she had to go through in order to be with the son of God. It was also her own fault for all of the sins that she had committed before she met Matthew. At this point, Nikki is still bringing Matthew home to the Lotter family home and she still hadn't told her family that Matthew was her boyfriend, but they did suspect that he was the boyfriend. Johnny really didn't say much about the relationship, he didn't try and talk to Matthew, but Ricky on the other hand, she was very kind, very welcoming, she tried to make Matthew feel at home every time he would come over 
and they just treated Matthew like they treated all of Nikki's other boyfriends. They only had one rule, and that was that Matthew could never spend the night in the Lost Family home, whether it was in an extra bedroom or it was in bed with Nikki, and that Nikki had to take him home every single night, and Nikki agreed, and this is what they would do all the time. But then there was one school holiday when Crystal came back from the University of Stellenbosch. She was at home and it was one of those days where Matthew was over and Matthew left and Nikki was going to go drive him home. Her parents were asleep and then she noticed that Nikki had kind of snuck Matthew back into the house and he only left the following morning. And because Crystal had seen this, she told her mom about it and Ricky was furious. She confronted Nikki about this. She told Nikki that it wasn't okay and she reiterated the fact that Matthew had to go home every single night. Like he couldn't spend the night and after this Matthew started going back home every time he would visit Nikki. Ricky had also convinced Nikki that she had to go see a psychiatrist but when she eventually managed to do this, Matthew had already convinced Nikki not to share anything too personal with her doctor. He told her that if she says if she shares anything personal about the difficulties that she's faced with demons and curses, they will lock her up in a psychiatric hospital. So she went there and she didn't really say much to her, to her psychiatrist. And Matthew also convinced her that her parents trying to force her to go see a psychiatrist was their way of trying to control her. At the end of the session, Nikki left and the psychiatrist called Ricky and told her that Nikki was a bit evasive and he wouldn't see her again for any issues that she may be experiencing. As their relationship continued, Matthew then told Nikki that he was tired of having to go home every single night like all the way to Phoenix and he just didn't like it and Nikki agreed. She was tired of spending so much money on petrol, having to take him home every night to Phoenix. So she suggested that Matthew just move into the Lotta family home and she told him that her parents wouldn't be a problem because her parents really valued their children's privacy so they wouldn't like when they went to their children's doors they would knock first before they went in that would give Matthew enough time to hide her parents wouldn't just go into her room and sleep around so she was like they really won't know that you're staying there and at this point Johnny would still drink a lot so he would go to work he would come home he would drink whatever he was drinking and by 8 p.m. he would be in bed intoxicated it was like a routine and Ricky on the other hand she would go to work she would go to gym afterwards she would come home she would cook she would clean up and she would go to bed so the parents wouldn't see Matthew off every single time that he went to their home and at this point he would be in the last family home like almost every single day so they were so used to him and they just really believed that their daughter would take him home to phoenix like they had agreed on matthew then asked rick um nikki rather what he was going to do about his job and nikki just told him that he should just leave the job and he should start managing her jazz group like he should be the manager she told him that they make a good amount of money so he didn't have to worry about that and then he told her that he liked the idea but 
then he would have to like always ask Nikki for money instead of having like his own money and this is when Nikki just gave him her bank card and said like you know just use this and this is when he started having a lot of control over all of her spendings and he would know like like he would have to give her permission if she wanted to buy certain things. Before Matthew was the manager of the group, the group was doing very well, like the band was doing very well, they were booked and busy, but after Matthew became their manager, he increased their fee, so much so that the usual people that would book them all the time just couldn't afford their rates anymore. The group would also perform at the mall during school holidays, and during one of their performances, Matthew just took the microphone, went on stage, and he started telling dirty jokes. And because of this, the mall just basically just banned him from ever performing at the mall again. And because Matthew had done this, the band just didn't get a lot of gigs anymore. Things weren't happening to them. They were just not doing as well as they were before. The band had also performed at a restaurant and after the performance a man went up to Nikki and he gave her his card and said that he was from Empire Records and he really loved what the band had done. He loved their performance and he asked if maybe they could like send him a demo or maybe come up to Johannesburg so that they could discuss this potential potential opportunity for the band and Nikki was so excited about this she went to go tell Matthew and Matthew literally took the card he tore it up he looked at Nikki and he told her that she was being stupid and the guy didn't want the band he just wanted Nikki he wanted to sleep with Nikki and Nikki didn't believe it like she really believed like this guy was from Empire Records he really believes in us really believes in us as a band but Matthew was not having any of it and as soon as they got home he made Nikki cut off all of her hair and throw out all of her attractive clothes that she would use when she that she would wear rather when she would perform and yeah it was just Terrible. The gig started to dry up and Nikki only had her job at the pub to support both her and Matthew financially. Matthew would also sexually abuse Nikki and he said that it's what she deserved for all the sins that she had committed before she met him and that God's son was cleansing her. After she worked a full shift at the bar, she would return home and she wasn't allowed to sleep. Matthew had been sleeping the entire day. So once Nikki got home, he would demand sex and she also had a single bed. So he wouldn't even try and make space for her on the bed so both of them could like be comfortable and sleep on the bed. He would make her sleep on the floor and she would go to work tired. She took up extra shifts so that she could make money at the pub and because she had taken up extra shifts and she wasn't spending a lot of time at home Matthew then started going to the pub so that he could watch her working and he would intimidate all of her male 
I want to say clients, not clients, but like all of the males that would go to the pub, she, like Matthew would intimidate them. And it became so bad that the manager of the pub typed out like a new rule. And he said that boyfriends and family members couldn't stay at the pub if their partners or family members were working. Like they couldn't stay the, the entire shift and just watch them. And Matthew thought that it didn't apply to him. So he just ignored it and he would go back to the pub and because of this, Nikki was let go of her job. Over time, Matthew convinced Nikki that her parents were evil messengers from the devil and that they were very selfish and trying to control her life. And now that Matthew had Nikki on his side, he moved on to her little brother, Hardis. So Hardis really liked Matthew. They had a ton <laughs> in common. They both liked wrestling. They liked Cartoon Network. And Hardis had also figured out that Matthew was staying in their house. And he had promised not to tell his parents. Matthew had also told Nikki's parents that he worked as a marketing manager for a clothing brand. Matthew also lied to his mother and told his mother that he had moved to the UK because he got a new job and he was working for Richard Branson. And Nikki didn't seem to mind all of Matthew's lies and this was because she was happy that she didn't have to drive all the way to Phoenix all the time So that Matthew could go see his family. Matthew also didn't want to see his family that much Which is why he said that he lived in a whole nother country and Nikki was also happy that they didn't have to go see his family all the time anymore because every time they would go visit his family once they got back into the car Matthew's eyes would flutter, his voice would change, and the evil being would come out. And Nikki was happy that she wasn't being beaten as often anymore. Now that Matthew had been living with the losses for some time, there were things that he didn't like. Like, he didn't like animals, he didn't like pets, so much so that he had killed their family cat and thrown it and like thrown it on the neighbor's yard. He had also beaten their dog really badly and the dog did survive and he also noticed that Nikki liked writing in her diary and Nikki would write in her diary all the time. It's something that she had been doing practically her whole life and Matthew was kind of jealous like he also wanted to write in a diary so he got himself a blank journal and he too started journaling and because Nikki was a person that would always write in her diary she literally had a bookcase filled with all of her old diaries from over the years and when Nikki would leave the house or maybe Matthew had time to be alone in her room he would read her diaries so that he could learn more about her learn about her fears her hopes her aspirations the kind of curses she felt like had been put on her and he would also use this knowledge that he gained from reading her diaries to further convince her that he knew so much about her and further convince her that he truly was the son of God. 
Nikki was then due for her follow-up appointment with her psychiatrist and this time Matthew decided to go with her and wait in the reception. So Nikki went to go see her psychiatrist and again she didn't say much, she was very evasive and the session ended and once they got out of the doctor's office they were like walking I think like towards the door to like the reception table and Matthew was sitting there with his feet up on the table. So the doctor looked at him and he's like can you please like move your feet like put your feet down and Matthew then lost it like he got up he started shouting at the doctor and he's like you think you're the boss around here why couldn't you just like go over my legs why do you think like you can tell me what to do and then he grabbed Nikki's hand and they just stormed out of the doctor's office and after this the psychiatrist called Ricky and was like um, your daughter came with her boyfriend to the session and the two of them have a strange, there's a strange dynamic in that relationship. Everything that has happened so far spanned over only six months. Now we're in August and Matthew and Nikki had been planning on getting married. Obviously like when they had first met Matthew had like proposed to Nikki even though it was like a joke she really believed like okay this guy had actually really proposed to me and they had been trying to plan their wedding or rather like plan when they were going to go to the court and just sign their papers and officially be married but Matthew kept coming up with excuses and changing the date and finally they decided on the 12th of August 2007. So Nikki was there waiting for them to get married and Matthew just didn't show up. Nikki then asked him what happened and he told her that he had received a tip that the CIA and Interpol had picked up his marriage application on the home affairs system and if he arrived they were going to arrest him on fake charges to stop his holy mission. And Nikki accepted this reason, she accepted this excuse as to why they didn't get married that day and she got stood up. With Nikki believing that her parents are evil, Matthew officially moved on to Hardest and they kind of just sat him down and they told him that Matthew was the third son of God and Hardest was very taken aback but he soon came to believe Matthew and he said this is because Matthew would tell him things about his life or things that he had thought of and hadn't told anyone before and because Matthew was doing all of these things it kind of convinced him that he really was the third son of God and he was on this earth to complete this holy mission even though he didn't know what the holy mission was. Now that both Nikki and Hardis were believers over the next couple of months Matthew would work on them he would convince them even more that he was the third son of God he would tell them that he was here for his holy mission and he would also tell siblings that there are things about their parents that they don't know he said that both Nikki and Hardis had been abused by their parents when they were babies and that they just don't remember it because they were so young and they couldn't believe that their parents would abuse them but Matthew convinced them that it was true and it was just another reason why their parents Ricky and Johnny were evil. 
He also convinced them that they had to spit in their parents like alcohol or whatever they were drinking and he said that their spit was spiritual and when their parents would drink whatever it is they were drinking with their children's spit it would kind of like cleanse them of evil something like that and they would do that all the time they would spit in their parents drinks because they were like this is a good thing they're ridding them of their evil spirits Matthew also teased Hardis about the fact that Hardis hadn't been in a relationship before and then Hardis had a crush on this girl and he told Matthew about it and Matthew demanded to see her Facebook account and then he forced Hardis to send this girl a message and he would sit there and tell Hardis what to type out. He then told Hardis to tell this girl that he was following the third son of God and immediately this girl was kind of like creep out and she told Hardis to never speak to her again and at this point because Matthew had already isolated Nikki he started isolating Hardis. Already Hardis was a very quiet shy kid with a small group of friends but Matthew just made sure that he wouldn't be in contact with any of his friends. He deleted all of the numbers that Hardis had on his phone. He took Hardis's bank cards, his wallet, he cut them up. And he just made sure that Hardis only had him to rely on. He would also physically assault Hardis and say that it was God's will, it was God's plan. And Hardis would take it because he thought it was part of the holy mission. After Nikki had been fired from her job at the pub, Matthew saw a job vacancy at a coffee shop. But he somehow made Nikki believe that he had seen this job in a vision of he's and Nikki believed him and then she applied for the job and she got it and she wholeheartedly believed that it was because of Matthew that she finally got this job. December rolled around and the Lottos were planning on going to their holiday home for a month and Nikki couldn't go because she had to work and Hardis was really excited about this holiday and then Matthew told him that you can't go on holiday with your parents like you can't be in the house with only your parents because your parents are so evil and Hardis was very sad, he was very disappointed, he was looking forward to going on this holiday but he agreed and he stayed back in German whilst his parents went to the Western Cape for a month and this month was the month that was going to determine everything for Matthew because now he had Nikki and he had Hardis and yet the entire house to himself, he could roam around, he didn't have to hide everything and they used to use this time to I don't know like plan his holy mission he would take Hardis and he would have Hardis and Nikki go through like training when Nikki wasn't working they would be home they would be on their knees for hours praying to God to help Matthew achieve his holy mission and it was just a very interesting month. During this time, Matthew would also be possessed by famous people, not just his three other spiritual beings. His eyes would flutter and his voice would change. Like, 
it used to every time he changed these other three spiritual beings but this time he would claim to either be albert einstein or richard branson hmm. and when he was richard branson he decided to test um, hardest and nikki's loyalty and he was like i'm rich i know he speaks i'm richard branson i have a million pounds and he was like i have a million pounds i will give you each a million pounds if you betray matthew and both of them immediately said no and this made matthew so happy because he knew like okay i've convinced these people that i'm a spiritual being i have healing powers i'm the third son of god I I can be Richard Branson and I can offer you a million pounds and you're going to deny a million pounds which means you really believe in me and this was enough for him to go forward with his next plan and this is when he told the lot of siblings that they had to kill their parents and at first they were hesitant they didn't want to go through with it but eventually they agreed and they knew that it was part of their holy mission and that their parents were evil and that they had the devil attached to them and everything like that he also used the month when the lot of parents were in the western cape to go through all of their stuff in their bedroom he would find documents about their assets their life insurance policies how much each child would get and he knew that this was the perfect plan to kill the lot of parents and he knew that after this the children would get the life insurance policies they would get all the assets and they would be rich basically and then he would be financially stable for the rest of his life on the 18th of january 2008 ricky and johnny returned home after their month-long holiday and matthew was just really angry he was really upset more than he ever had been before because for a whole month he had this freedom in their home but now that they were back he had to go back into hiding and he hated this so much and all of that anger that he had he would take it out on Nikki and blame his other being. Nikki would also barely get any sleep because Matthew would demand sex every time she would get back home from work and this started reflecting in her work that she would be tired she wasn't doing as well as she used to do and because of this she was let go again and matthew had another idea to get money he noticed that johnny would leave his bank card like his credit card on the table when he'd go to work so because of this he told nikki that they could go take Johnny's pen card and just withdraw money. They also found his pen that he had written up on a piece of paper. So when Johnny would go to work, they'd take his bank card and they would would withdraw two thousand rand. So the first time they did this, they withdrew two thousand rand. They put the card back, and once Johnny got home, he was like, "Oh, listen, this happened to me. It's so strange." And Hardis and Matthew just convinced him that maybe someone had hacked into his account. And they said that maybe he just needed to change the pin of his bank card and Johnny listened to them he did this and I think the next time they did this or I think maybe like a couple of days or a couple of weeks later they did this again they took his bank card they went to go withdraw 2000 rand and again Johnny was just so confused because he was like how did they 
Like, how do they keep withdrawing money from my card? Like, I changed my pin, so how were they able to do this? Then Matthew and Hardis convinced him that maybe he had to go get a new bank card altogether. And Johnny listened, he got a new bank card, and he then put it on the side table of his bed he went to bed and as he was asleep Matthew snuck into the room he took the card and it was all like in an envelope and he opened this envelope he looked at the pin he went to an ATM with Nikki like Nikki was driving him around obviously because he didn't drive and then he withdrew 2000 Rand again he returned home he put the card back into the envelope sealed it up and continued as normal and in the morning Johnny woke up and he was shocked like he couldn't believe it and he didn't understand how someone had been able to withdraw 2000 Rand again after he had just gotten a new bank card and after this, he decided to go to the police station to go open a case of fraud. And this is when he met Detective Duma. And Detective Duma managed to get a um, CCTV footage of one of the ATMs. And when they looked at the footage, they saw that there was someone wearing a balaclava. And yeah, you couldn't see his face. But Johnny took note of the sweater that this person was wearing. And he knew that the sweater was familiar, but he didn't know who the sweater belonged to. And as he was looking at the CCTV footage in the back, like in the background, he saw his daughter's green car. And immediately things just clicked. And he told Detective Duma, like, oh, I think maybe it's my daughter and her boyfriend and detective duma said okay i can go now and go arrest her but if she is found guilty and convicted she will have like a criminal record and johnny didn't want nikki to have a, like a criminal record he didn't want to ruin her life he thought that maybe if he did this then he would essentially be ruining her life so he just told Detective Duma that he wasn't going to do that and then he started locking up his credit card in one of the safes at work instead of coming home with it. He also told the family about it one night and Matthew and Nikki just denied it. They said that they just happened to be going to the movies that same night and it was just a coincidence that this person was withdrawing money from the ATM and the car was parked in the back. On the same day and Johnny really wanted to believe his daughter but he didn't he didn't he didn't trust her anymore Matthew would also take Hardis's allowance that he would get but this just wasn't enough for him now that Nikki didn't have a job and they couldn't get Johnny's credit card he had to come up with another plan so then he told Hardis that they had to steal his mother Ricky's handbag and they did just this they took her handbag they took her phone they didn't they couldn't find the pin for her bank cards so they couldn't do much with that and then they drove around and they dropped her bag off in a very like dodgy area and they left one card in it which was an Edgar's card with Ricky's name on it and then they sold her phone and once Ricky got home. I don't know where she had been that day or if she was already home, but she just didn't notice. She realized that her phone and her handbag were missing and she was so shocked and she was so scared because no one had been home and the alarm had been armed. So she just started wondering how someone had managed to get into the house and steal all of these things. And she became even more scared when 
she was contacted and they told her that her handbag had been found in a dodgy area and even though this had happened she still didn't believe that Matthew Hardis or Nikki had anything to do with it and that people had just broken in and had managed to do it without alerting anyone. Matthew then bought a burner phone and he started sending Johnny threatening messages and at first Johnny kept these messages to himself but then both Nikki and Hardis had planned to be attacked by strange men who knew their parents names and to make this seem even more true Matthew would beat them up so that when they went to their parents to tell them like oh my gosh like these two men had kidnapped me and they beat me up and they kept saying your guys' names her like their parents would believe them even more and after this happened Johnny and Ricky were so scared they were terrified for their children and they couldn't understand who would have anything against them Matthew then started sending even more letters to the Lotta parents that caused a rift between them because these letters were kind of alluding to the fact that Johnny had been having an affair and the letters were coming from the woman who he was having an affair with husband. That makes sense. Yeah. And he tried to tell Ricky that it wasn't true, it was a lie, but those seeds had already been planted in Ricky's mind and the two of them just started drifting apart. The Lottas then finally decided to go to the police with the threats and the same detective, Detective Duma, that worked on the theft cases met with them and he took all the evidence but he told them that all of these letters, like with everything that they had, he didn't think that they would be able to find the culprits and he also thought that maybe it could just be a prank but the company that Johnny worked for took the threats that he was receiving very seriously and this is because he worked for an international company and in their other offices abroad um, some people's families or kids would be kidnapped and taken for ransom so they thought that maybe those people had made their way to South Africa and were targeting the South African company now so they took it very very seriously and although the Lotters didn't directly suspect Matthew they just thought that there was just something odd about him and this is when Johnny decided to hire a private investigator to look into Matthew and this is when they discovered that Matthew had lied about his education, his job and they were a bit disappointed that they didn't find a criminal record because they thought that maybe if he did have a criminal record it would it would be easier for them to tell Nikki to stop seeing him but with information they had and all his lies that was enough for them so one day Ricky decides to call Detective Duma and ask him to be over at the house whilst he sat Nikki and Matthew down and told him that they knew all about his lies and basically just banned him from the Lotta family home. She did just this and Nikki stood up in Matthew's defense and she told her mom that if you kick like if you tell Matthew that he can't come over to this house anymore then I'm not gonna live here and Ricky tried to stop Nikki but there was nothing that she could do and then Nikki and Matthew left the Lotta family home. By June 2008, Matthew and Nikki had been renting a room in a boarding house and Matthew had pawned all of Nikki's 
music equipment but it still wasn't enough to sustain them and he just was very upset he wasn't happy about the situation they were in he wasn't happy that he had to eat like noodles and bread every single day that they couldn't order takeouts they couldn't go to the movies all those things that he had grown accustomed to and Nikki, on the other hand, she was just happy that she was able to spend time with him. She was happy that she was with Matthew, but Matthew was just not having it. The lots of parents also wanted Nikki back home. They didn't want her to be staying with Matthew, especially like in a boarding home. So they asked Hardis if he could go visit Nikki and kind of convince her to come back. And this is when the three of them sat down, Hardis, Nikki and Matthew, and they came up with a plan. And the plan was that Nikki was going to move back home. And after a couple of days, Matthew would also go back home. They had managed to hide him living in the Lotto family home for months. So they knew that they knew that they would be able to do it again. So that wasn't that much of like a big deal. And then their other plan was that Nikki was going to lie to her parents and tell them that she had a job opportunity and that she was going to start in the beginning of July. And this kind of gave the three of them a time frame as well. And they knew that the day was fast approaching when they really had to kill Johnny and Ricky Lotta. Matthew then promised the siblings that he would do the killing, that they didn't have to do it, and he was going to make it look like natural causes. So he then told them that they would have to kill Johnny first and thereafter kill Ricky about a month later. And he thought that he was really going to enjoy watching Ricky grieve her husband for that month. The first plan they came up with was that they were going to basically kill Johnny through alcohol poisoning because Johnny was always drinking. They thought that they would put like pure alcohol into his whiskey. He would drink it and yeah, die from alcohol poisoning. But Johnny had been drinking for a while. So it really didn't do much when they did this. He just got intoxicated faster and went to bed earlier and that's what happened so after that didn't like after that plan didn't succeed they then decided that they were going to add poison to his whiskey so they went to the botanical gardens they found a poisonous tree they like took its sap from the tree and they put it in johnny's whiskey so that he would drink it and just die from um, alcohol poisoning I guess and they thought it was really going to work but then Johnny went to his whiskey and he saw that there was like some white at the bottom of the bottle and he didn't even taste it he just threw it out and after this they knew that they had to come up with another idea and time was running out and Matthew was growing desperate so he came up with another plan and that was that they had to take both parents out in one go Matthew then told the siblings that if he injects the parents with a syringe filled with air, it will cause an embolism and they will die of heart attacks. And then he promised the lots of children that he was going to inject their parents himself and they wouldn't have to do it. The plan was that they were going to kill Ricky first because she was always awake later and Johnny would be asleep because he would have drank so much and he's asleep by like 
8 p.m. And after that, after they kill Ricky, they would go up and kill Johnny in his sleep. Then Saturday, the 19th of July, finally came and Matthew had pawned Hardis's digital camera and three of them had bought a taser gun, needles and latex gloves. The plan was that Hardis was going to knock his mother out with the taser and then Nikki would go fetch Matthew from wherever he was, he would come home and he would inject Ricky with the air bubble and then they would do the same to Johnny. He also bought movie tickets for him and Nikki so that they would have an alibi and then night time came and it was time. So Nikki then dropped Matthew off at the mall and she drove back home and once she got home her dad Johnny was already in bed asleep and she saw her mom Ricky and she said to her mom not hey mom let's go sit in the kitchen and let's just have some tea and chat and Ricky agreed so they got to the kitchen they sat there and Ricky's back was like away from the door so she didn't notice when Hardis came into the kitchen with the taser and he put it against her neck and it was literally like a small little spark but it didn't work so when they had bought the taser they tried it out once and they just saw like a little spark and they thought that maybe it had to be charged a little bit more so they just charged it again and they didn't try it out to see if it actually worked and the tailor just wasn't working and then Hardis knew that he had to change his plan so he then took like the back of his arm and he started strangling his mother and at first Ricky thought that Hardis was joking and just playing with her but then he tightened his grip and she realized that he wasn't and then he just continued choking her until she fell to the ground and then Nikki got up and she started hitting her mother on her face until her mother kind of lost consciousness. Then Nikki grabbed her phone and she called Matthew and told Matthew that things went terribly wrong. Hardis then took zip ties and he tied his mother's hands and legs together so that she wouldn't move. Because at this point she had just lost consciousness but she was still alive. Then Nikki went to go fetch Matthew from the mall. She returned and once Matthew got into the kitchen and saw Ricky lying on the floor, he just told him that they had messed up the entire plan and he was like, now you guys have to deal with it. Like I was gonna kill her but now he has messed up the entire plan so you must kill her. So he told Nikki, like you have to kill your own mother and then afterwards Nikki was just so scared like she was shaking and Hardis held Ricky down and Nikki took the syringe and she struggled several times to get like the needle into her mother's arm and eventually when she managed she kept trying to inject this air bubble but it wasn't working so she got frustrated she went out and she went to um, Matthew who I think was in her bedroom and next to her bed there were like these knives that they had bought when they were still living in that boarding house so she told Matthew like she's not dying what do I do and Matthew kind of just like looked at the knife picked one up and handed it to her and 
Nikki hesitated a bit and then she took the knife. She went back to the kitchen and as she straddled her mother getting ready ready to stab her, her mother like opened her eyes and she looked at Nikki and then she looked to her side, she looked at Hardis and she just said, My children, why are you doing this to me? I love you. And Nikki just stabbed her. Nikki stabbed her eleven times. When it was done, they then called Matthew who got to the kitchen and he told them to collect all of the needles, the taser, the cable ties and put them in plastic bags. And they left the knife lying next to Nikki's next to Ricky's body nikki was covered in blood and matthew told her to go change her clothes and put her bloody clothes in a bag then matthew turned to hardest and told hardest that things had changed and now hardest had to kill his dad johnny and when he was done if he didn't want to burn in hell for the rest of for all of eternity then he had to take his own life so that he could go to heaven and Hardis really didn't want to take his own life and Nikki also didn't want her brother to take his own life but Matthew told him that this is what they had to do because they had ruined the plan so this was the only thing left for them to do. He then sat down with Hardis and he made Hardis write a suicide note and he basically just told him what to write where Hardis said that he was upset with his parents so he's the one that took their lives but he couldn't deal with the guilt so then he took his own life. He then told Hardis to, like, told Hardis how to take a rope and tie it around his dad's neck and how to strangle him. And after this, him and Nikki got into Nikki's car. They drove to the mall so that they would have their alibi. They were walking around the mall, making sure CCTV footage captures them. They went to an ice cream shop, they bought ice cream and Matthew made a huge fuss to the guy that was selling them the ice cream, gave him a huge tip so that if ever things go sideways, they had their alibi and this guy would be able to say, oh, I remember that couple, they gave me such a big tip. And then after this, they walked out of the mall, they just sat on a little wall where Matthew knew the CCTV camera was pointing straight towards them and they just ate their ice cream. And as this was happening, Hardis was home and he was so scared to kill his dad. He really didn't want to. But he knew that he had to do it because it was part of the holy mission. So he went to his dad's room and his dad was still asleep. But as soon as Matthew kind of got the rope around his neck, his dad kind of sat up and immediately put his hand between the like between the rope and his neck like this kind of like to stop it before Hardis had started tightening the rope and then the two of them just started fighting they fell onto the bed they were punching each other and Johnny was like why are you doing this what's happening he's like son just stop what you're doing we don't even have to talk about this ever in the future it can end right here right now and one needs to know and Hardis was just like crying like no dad you don't understand I have to do this it's part of the holy mission you have to die then Johnny stood up and he started running down the hall he was screaming for his wife and then Hardis was running behind him and Hardis got the upper hand and he jumped on top of his dad's back. He had the rope and he started strangling his dad. Eventually his dad kind of like passed out but Hardis wanted to make absolutely sure that his dad was dead so he continued strangling him for about 15 to 20 minutes and 
till there was like no signs of life left and then he just sat there and he knew that he couldn't take his own life he he couldn't do it and he's like i'll be damned to hell for eternity but i can't take my own life and then he called his sister and as soon as nikki and matthew figured out or found out that hardest was still alive they then returned home and matthew had planned for this matthew had a plan a he had a plan b and his plan was that if hardest couldn't go through with taking his own life then they were going to claim that those people that had sent all those threatening messages to johnny had been the one to commit the murders so matthew and nikki got home and then he told the siblings to get like a white blanket i think like a white sheet put it over the parents and then they came up with their story he then said that nikki had to drive him to the taxi rank and must call him at two and say she just got back from the movies and found her parents bodies and found hardest tied up and beaten up and it really helped that he had gotten into a fight with his father because he was bloodied up he was like blinded up and he was bruised so everything just made sense he also typed out a letter and said that ricky and johnny deserved what came to them and he typed out that he nikki and hardest had committed the murders kind of hoping that police officers would read this letter and think that the actual killers were just pointing the fingers to them but the police wouldn't think it was them which is why that letter existed and yes now we're back to the beginning of the case when all three of them were arrested so let's continue from there i hope i'm making sense after the three of them were arrested for johnny and ricky's murder their cell phones were confiscated and then police officers told nikki that she could call her grandmother to just let her know about what happened and nikki then called her paternal grandmother and said that her son johnny and his wife had been brutally murdered and then she just heard the scream and the call just ended it later turned out that her grandmother had had a heart attack and died on the spot of the hearing that her son and her daughter-in-law had been murdered after they had been arrested matthew then asked if he could have some more food and again he was like eating this food and hardest looked at him with so much disgust and then he stood up and he asked the police officer if he could have his statement taken and he got into the I think interrogation room, interview room, and then they took Nikki to the interview room that was right next to Hardest's one, and it was very far away from where Matthew was. And Nikki could hear her brother just sobbing. And when they asked Hardest what happened, he kind of just recited the same story that Matthew had told him to tell that Matthew had told him to tell the police officers, and he just kept repeating it and repeating it, and police officers were like, okay and they were also interviewing matthew at this point and matthew kind of knew that everything was unfolding because police officers said that they saw that he and nikki had exchanged 
so many phone calls during the time they said that they were in the movies so how were they exchanging phone calls if they were supposed to be in the same place watching movies which really wasn't smart on Matthew's side because he told Nikki to call him at 2 a.m to say that she found her parents dead which means he knew that police would find the phone calls but he didn't account for their phone calls when they were murdering Ricky very strange and as soon as Matthew kind of like figured that the gig was up he just told police officers that he was the one to kill Ricky and they think he did this so that when the truth finally came out it would kind of make people question his confession and Matthew was also very cocky when he was giving his statement and every time different people would walk into the interview room he kind of like he like he felt it looked like he was just very proud of what he had done he was very happy that he had an audience and they just couldn't believe that this man was just really couldn't care matthew had also told police officers that he could take them to where he had dumped the evidence and once he returned to the station and they had put all the evidence on the table investigators then walked hardest out into the hallway so that they so that he could watch Matthew just chatting away and they handcuffed hardest so that he literally just couldn't leave that he had to sit there and watch as Matthew was just this cocky person telling them the story of his and after about 10 minutes hardest told investigators that he was ready to talk and in a long handwritten confession he told them that Matthew had convinced him that he was a third son of God, that his parents were evil and that they had to die and just told them how they had committed the crimes. And with that, they had the full confession. But now they had to get Nikki's confession and Nikki just wouldn't talk. Nikki kept asking if she could go see Matthew so that Matthew could tell her what to say to the police officers. And the officer was like talking to Nikki and he realized that she was like a very religious person. She kept talking about the Bible and this is when the officer asked her like do you know of any chapters in the Bible where God or rather Jesus refers to himself as the third son of God and Nikki was very confused when the officer asked her this and she was like why are you asking me this and he said you know like Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus refer to himself as the third son of God because he has this humility about him. So why is it that Matthew claims he's the third son of God? Why would he not have the same humility? And this is when Nikki's mind just started running and she just couldn't believe it. The officer then leaned into Nikki and told her that she had been deceived by Matthew and she started crying and then she wrote a 12 page statement about what happened that night and how they had committed the murders and the police quickly noticed that both siblings statements were like the same they made sense and Matthew's statement contained a lot of different information. Nikki still wanted to see Matthew and they knew that they couldn't allow this but they came up with a plan. So Nikki was gonna sit in the smoking area of the garden and they were gonna have Matthew walk past 
and as Matthew was walking past Nick he went up to him they were both supervised by their respective officers and Nikki just started crying and she's like are you the third son of God and Matthew just kind of looked at her and he started laughing then he blew kisses at her and she asked again are you the son of God and Matthew just scoffed and said there's no God and Nikki was completely devastated. She then believed that Matthew had been cursed and the demon that was attached to her had attached himself, had attached itself to Matthew and that's why he was acting the way he was and it took some convincing and her talking to pastors for them, for her to finally believe that she had been part of a cult and that Matthew had manipulated her. Eventually, all three of them went to trial and all three of them pleaded not guilty and they eventually were found guilty. Nicolette Lotta was given 12 years in prison, Hardest Lotta given 10 years in prison, Matthew Naidu was given two life sentences. In March 2018, Hardis was released on a conditional basis and he is on house arrest for the rest of his sentence. Nikki, on the other hand, got married to a man in the end of 2018 in a jailhouse service. She was released in 2020 and she has to do community service for four years. So her community service ends next year. Matthew Naidu is still in prison and will be eligible for parole in 2037.